Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Anybody who's achieved in sports or in music or has traveled globally, and I want to keep hitting on the travel thing. Anyone who's broken out of their social circle and realized it's the whole big world out there, it gives you a certain amount of inner authority where you have the courage that when your social circle is dragging you down or not agreeing, it takes what I call inner authority versus outer authority. And outer authority is, well, what does the Bible say? What's the Quran say? What's my parents say? What's society say? What are my friends? It's always an ism. There's always, you know, I, I have a decision to make. I don't know. Let me check with an outer authority to see what I should do. And there's a lot of people who live that way right now versus inner authority is, I might check with an outer authority, but I'm going to make the decision myself and trust that my opinion is valuable. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Dean, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. No problem. I'm excited about it. Yeah. So, you know, I am really excited to have you here. You know, I came across your story by way of uh, my business partner and our mutual friend, Brian, who I know that you know very closely. And uh, I got a glimpse into your story. And I remember when I got that first glimpse, I thought, wow, this is insane. We have to figure out uh, what this is all about and, you know, have Dean come and tell this story on the show. So, um, you know, knowing what I do know about you, I want to start with uh, this. when you were a kid, what is it that you wanted to be when you grew up? And how did that end up impacting the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Well, that's a great one. Um, well, when you say kid, I'd say, you know, before six, seven, eight years old, something like that. Yeah, I had an unusual childhood is what you were alluding to. I was raised on boats uh, by people who basically lived off the grid. So I didn't even live on land until almost high school. Uh-huh. So I think in those young years, I just wanted to basically live on land and see what it was like to have a bunch of kids my own age age that were friends of mine. Uh Um, So, you know, you never appreciate how you grow up, of course. (laughs) But um, I just wondered what the rest of the world was really like. Uh, But I wanted to, like most kids, I wanted to make something of myself. And I think the big thing is, I just wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make an impact, you know, which is common for a lot of people. Right. Well, so when you say off the grid, I mean, you literally mean off the grid because you were living on boats, but I'd like to do a deeper dive into that. I mean, what was it actually like living off the grid? Um, and, and, you know, what, what misperceptions do we maybe have about it uh, that people might not know? Sure. Well, what I mean by off the grid is I basically was raised in that generation of what I would say hippies that wanted to escape the world, go live down on boats in Florida and uh, basically, you know, 
you're not reporting to anybody. No one knows who you are. You are literally off the grid. Your kids aren't really going to school. You're teaching them things on the boat just about life skills. Mm -hmm. But you're not tracking days like literally a Wednesday or a Thursday. You didn't measure time and even days then. It was more of when was the storm? When are you moving to the next port? Uh, when did you see those dolphins? There was no, you didn't even really measure time that way because it, it meant nothing. There was no weekend. It was just another day. So I would say time was measured more by memories and events than it was an actual clock because the clock had no meaning to you at that point. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it was the old Miami Vice days in the late 80s uh, where you know, down there in Florida, it was just basically a bunch of people um, surviving on boats and having a good time and just unplugging from typical society. Okay, so lots of questions, as you can imagine, uh, come from that. The first one, really, I think, is, is about how you were educated. Because, uh, you know, you mentioned it wasn't school, but you were learning life skills. I'm really curious, like, how did you learn what you learned? I mean, and what are the kinds of things that you were taught to prepare you for adult life in the real world, especially when you're kind of living in this sort of alternate reality almost? Well, really, I think that, you know, just it's like living on a farm or living in the mountains somewhere or um, but I grew up on the water is you're learning life skills, nature. Nature's a very powerful teacher. Um, It's it's pretty cut. It's pretty black and white. And if you mess up, nature's a pretty harsh teacher. (laughs) So you're learning hand eye coordination, Um, you know, how certain things you do that you can swim here, you can't swim there. Survival skills is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you learn, you know, you're basically wondering when you're going to catch your next meal. If you're hungry, you go catch it. You don't go buy it. You know, I guess that was the, that, that was an example of something that was drastically different for me, was the concept you would just go to a refrigerator and your food would be there. You know, food was something that you had to go find, you know, get it, capture it, kill it. You know, bring it home, fish for it, and then cook it. It wasn't just something that you went to the refrigerator. A lot of people, I think, I don't think have any relationship between their food and where it actually comes from today because mm-hmm. they just go to the store and buy it. So it was those types of skills. Um, it was just being aware of your surroundings. So how did you then uh, develop sort of the the other skills um, and, and sort of awareness and knowledge that basically most kids are taught in like a traditional schooling environment, because I would imagine that has to come from somewhere. Like you don't become successful and learn how to do what you've done without having all of that. Yeah. Well, when I, well, I remember I was first was able to get on land, started to see a few movies, see how, how the rest of the world worked. And my first indoctrination into high school was just very shocking. I started to learn a lot of the basic, you know, like what a number two pencil was, what a classroom is, you know, um, what a locker room is. But as far as critical thinking or pattern recognition, I think what you might be getting at here is what I call, there's usually an underlying structure to everything. It's just things work the way they work. And you can start to pick up on these patterns, um, whether it's in nature or in business or in people or as an athlete, when when you're measuring up your competition, you just start to be able to see certain patterns and how they react. And, And when you're used to looking for that, you can logic your way pretty much out of anything. So I think nature is a really good teacher for that. Uh, And then when I went to high school, of course, I just started to realize there were a lot of things I didn't know that were academic based. But when it came to um, critical thinking or logic or patterns, Mm -hmm. I was actually far more trained than some of these kids that I realized, wow, these kids wouldn't be able to navigate their way out of a paper bag. So um, I was far more advanced in certain topics, but of course, very behind when it came to being book smart. 
So um, lots of questions, as you can imagine from from this. First off, how old were you when you first actually ended up on land and, and were put into sort of a formal education environment? Was it high school? Yeah, yeah. Basically, it was the first years of high school uh, when we when we started going into formal education. You had to take some tests, figure out where you fit in. Uh, and at that age, it wasn't that big of a deal because, you know, if you're homeschooled, even though this was back before homeschool was as professional as, and, and as organized as it is now, mm-hmm. you know, and I can't even really call it homeschool. It was more like go to the, go to the bow of the boat and memorize these words and come back and <laughs> tell me, tell me if you can spell now, <laughs> that kind of, so it wasn't like high homeschool is today. Right. Uh, what uh, was the impact of, of this sort of upbringing on your social relationships with people during that period of your life? Um, I would say how most people would probably relate this is it's called street smarts versus academia. Uh-huh. You know, um, where whether you grew up in the hood or, like I said, you grew up as a farm boy, same thing. You just you if you suddenly get around a bunch of people socially, you can read them and figure out, you know, who's a jerk, who's nice, who's honorable, who's compassionate. You're far more in tuned with those types of things. Uh, it, so, and you're able to read them, but you had a hard time fitting and relating to them. What helped me was probably sports in high school. Mm-hmm. So it, what made me friends quickly is starting a sport that no one had started, like football back in that day. And suddenly that's what enabled me to become friends with everybody and show them that I could compete. So sports really helped me socially integrate. I'm really curious kind of, uh, you know, what it is that your parents did for a living and, you know, how did you guys even sustain yourself economically and what impact did that have on the choices that you ended up making career wise? Ah, okay. Well, yeah, that's a good question. So, um, as some people can probably imagine, if you lived on boats in the eighties in the Florida Keys, when I say the Miami vice time, if for those of you who watched that show, it was really pretty accurate. It was a bunch of people that were basically smuggling uh, marijuana at the time. Um, it was a, it was almost like a Johnny Depp, um, you know, um, uh, Jimmy Buffett sort of just happy-go-lucky time of people just smuggling, nothing negative, just not wanting to pay taxes, wanting to stay off the grid, doing their own thing. Um, and so, and when I say parents, that was that was my mother, not my father, um, mm. my birth father. Um, is uh, somewhere else in the story. So the uh, that's what they were doing. And of course, you don't realize that when you're a young kid growing up, but then you start realizing, whoa, wait a minute, what we're doing is completely different. And then I had to grow up avoiding the police, learning not to be able to talk about what I did. So it drastically affected me as a young kid because I couldn't talk about how I was being raised or how we made money. It was sort of like us against them. And I know there's a lot of people who've grown up in those situations where Unfortunately, you're not able to talk about what your parents do. So um, it definitely made me realize that there was a whole culture underneath the culture, like the black market, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you grow up in it. You know it exists. And it's almost like you've got your friends in that world and you've got your friends in the white collar world. Uh, so, uh, so it made me very street smart, made me aware that there was always an undercurrent anywhere you went of other things going on. Um, but I always wanted to jump into the white collar business, I guess, if you will, or what I thought was normal at that mm-hmm. point. So I desired to get into something normal. How old were you when you first realized that um, you were living you know, with parents who were basically doing things outside of the law? Probably about six or seven. I remember there was a story my mom told me once when I was in the back of a car and um, she was looking in the rearview mirror and just looked at me and apparently I said something like, you know, mom, I just really, really don't want to go to jail. 
and I, when I grow up, I'm going to be something big so we don't have to do this. So apparently it was definitely something that was affecting me and probably created a massive drive in me to be, to do something of courage, to be honorable. Um, I obviously, I was becoming aware of it. I might not have been able to put my words around it, but it was affecting me at the time. And so I wanted to do something great and I didn't want to be in that situation. So that to me raises a question uh, about environment, right? Because, you know, we always say most people are often a product of their environments. Like you look at at criminals, uh, you know, people go to a prison and they become, you know, lifelong criminals after serving a prison sentence. I mean, I I got to visit San Quentin recently and uh, many of the people there said, you know, part of the reason I'm here is I'm a product of my environment and you overcame your environment. Uh, and I'm curious what it is that enables people to do that and why you think it is that despite growing up in that environment of being off the grid and living outside the law, that you actually overcame the environment. Uh, it's a great question. Um, I don't know if I have the answer, but I've, I've heard this said by a few people before. I believe when you're a product of your environment, it can drive you one or two ways. You either become what it's the, the, the environment you're in or you decide to completely rebel from it. And I went the other direction. And I think that's just a choice um, that people have. Or I guess I should say, at some point, you, you fork in the road. And either you, you become what the environment is, or you decide you want nothing to do with it. And I obviously went the other direction. And it really inspired me. Um, to just want to do the right thing. You know, I wanted to be the hero in the TV show. I wanted to be that person that that had stability. Um, And I don't know why, but I know, you know, uh, the movie with Will Smith about, you know, the one that everyone talks about uh, um, where, you know, the guy was raising his young daughter on the streets and became a huge Mm stockbroker. Yeah. Uh, Pursuit of happiness. Yeah, pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Same situation. I think those things can either trap you and you become a victim, or they sometimes can be your inspiration to just move on. And luckily for me, it inspired me and my little brother to move on big time. It made us super ambitious. Do you think there's some inherent quality in certain people that separates the ones who become the product of the environment versus the ones who uh, basically decide not to? I don't know if I feel qualified to answer that. Um, the I can just tell you in my situation, um, well, I, I don't know. I just know that it really inspired me to want to do the right thing. I, I think I grew up re- seeing people do th- have acts of courage and be honorable. Mm-hmm. And I was always drawn to those people than the ones that I saw were doing ridiculous things or people that were over drinking or doing drugs. And it was just disappointing to me, I guess. And I always felt sad when you would see, you know, a parent or a person cut someone else down or just take the opportunity to unempower somebody versus to empower them. Mm -hmm. I was always just drawn to the people I felt were more um, kind, you know, and use their power for good. I think that's what it really was, is that you can see power misused often. And... um, and I'm just like a lot of us. We're always just drawn to the to, to the hero in that particular movie who uses their power for good, not the dingolings who use it for bad. <laughs> so, tell me about the relationship with your mother. I mean, knowing all of this about a parent while it's going on, I'm curious what the dynamic was like uh, between parent and child in this situation. Well, at the time, it was fine um, because I didn't know any better, and I saw us as a 
band of people that were just uh, being dreamers, entrepreneurs, because that's how you see yourself, a lot of that culture at the time. You were really just entrepreneurs who didn't agree with what the government was doing, taxation. It's like the old being the old classic pirate, right? Um, that uh, So we just saw ourselves as entrepreneurs, and it was fun, and we weren't falling for a lot of the rules that were being in, uh, forced onto certain people. As I got older, had my own child, then you start to look back and go, wow, that was a pretty awkward environment to raise a kid in. And then you start looking at things differently. And since then, it's put a very big strain because looking back, I can't believe that we were raised that way or put in that situation. At the time, you didn't realize it, but later on, you go back and you start to question those decisions. So are there people like this still living off the grid now, like people from your past? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, lots of them. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, all, all, kinds, all kinds of people out there. You know, it w- which was funny to me when I first got exposed to, you know, when I went to high school and was just trying to get my life going and then out of high school, went to college. And when I was my second year of college, I had a lieutenant commander in the Navy, a JAG officer, uh, approach me. And I'll tell you this quick story. I was working out at the gym and I saw a group of people walk in that just looked clean cut. They looked honorable, just like they had their act together, like a group of men that I'd want to become when I grew up. And I remember making a, a statement to a friend of mine that was working out, a girl that was next to me. I said, when I, when I become their age, I hope I have what they've got. I don't know what it is, but I can just tell you, pat- pattern recognition, those guys got something going on. It's like watching another powerful animal or entity walk into the room. You know, are you even aware it just happened? And I was aware. And I said it to, to my girlfriend, and she actually went over to him and told them. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and, and, and then I saw this huge, square-jawed officer and a gentleman-looking guy start walking towards me. I'm like, what did she say? And he walked up, and he goes, young man, did you make a comment about my colleagues and I? And, of course, for some reason, I was like, uh... Yes, sir. Yeah, I don't know why I said sir. I was like, yes, sir. But it was a good comment because <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. And he literally said something to me. He said, well, if you have this type of situational awareness at your young age, maybe we should have coffee and talk because I'm a JAG officer in the military. I own a law practice. That person over there is one of the biggest people in real estate in the city. And the other gentleman you saw is also extremely successful. I'm surprised you were able to pick up on that. Let's go to coffee. And it was a pivotal point in my life when I went home to my dorm room and I went and said, guys, someone just noticed me. Oh, my gosh. You know, I don't know what's going on, but you know, I, was, I was excited that someone saw me because I felt invisible. And, of course, my friends, you know, being your friends, they're like, oh, come on. It's probably something weird. You're being recruited into something. And they were just they, they played devil's advocate. But what they didn't realize is they were poo-pooing all over what had just happened to me. And I literally almost canceled the appointment. But then I thought, wait a minute, you guys live with me. You owe me rent. You couldn't compete with me in sports. What the heck am I letting you guys convince me that what just happened wasn't real? <laughs> you know, someone saw something in me. And why am I going to let you doubt, get me to doubt that happened? And I went to lunch with that gentleman. His name was Mark Boyson. And he was a mentor to me for almost a decade and really pulled me into living life and running businesses. And it was a big pivotal point in my life. Mm. 
You know, I have one other question about this living off the grid period, and I do want to ask about this uh, pivotal moment as well. One of the things that's really interesting to me is you said that you really couldn't talk a lot about, you know, how you guys made money or, or how you lived. And it makes me wonder how you create intimate connections and intimate friendships with people when you have this almost double life and this identity that you can't really reveal in full. Absolutely. That was what you just explained high school. Yeah. It was this, um, you couldn't tell the people what was going on. You felt that they would, if they knew how you grew up or how you lived, they would never know you or relate to you. Uh, I think that a lot of people go through this. Uh, sometimes military children go through this, uh, not because their parents are smugglers or live off the grid, just because how you live is so different from them. You don't even think you can talk to them about it or your parents are musicians or actors. So actually what I found out was the people I really related to were people who lived extraordinary lives that were different. Actors, singers, kids, military kids, people who traveled extensively, people who'd had their illusions uh, broken, or people who had experienced the world that were cultured, that really realized, wow, there's a whole big world out there. It's not just you and your 10 friends in this high school. So um, I found that it, it instantly made me unrelatable to a lot of people, but it made me extremely relatable to other people who were living exceptional lives already. So that raises a question of how that impacted relationships later in your adult life. Well, trusting and being and feeling confident to even be able to talk about, I, I, how do I say this? I think I made a decision to be very transparent and open and honest, and I craved family and I craved connections with my friends moving forward. But I would never really open up too much about the past. So it was like the past was locked down because you didn't know if it was even appropriate or even safe to talk about. You didn't know if you were going to get your mom in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You, you don't know if the statute of limitations is over. Um, so you basically made a decision to have a relationship with someone moving forward but not be able to completely open up your past. And it wasn't until I'd say after college in my mid-20s or 30s when I started to openly talk about how I was really raised. And it took it took a long time. But I think some of that is also just being defensive of not wanting to do damage to your family. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, this pivotal moment with uh, the JAG officer from the Navy, what interests me is how your friends reacted uh, to the situation. And I guess the real question from that is why is it that some people are so impacted by their social programming and the people around them and other people are able to overcome it? Do you think growing up off the grid enabled you to kind of look past what they were saying more than the average person could? Yes, I do think that had a lot to do with it. But I also just think anybody who's achieved in sports or in music or has traveled globally, and I want to keep hitting on the travel thing, anyone who's broken out of their social circle and realizes the whole big world out there, it gives you a certain amount of inner authority where you have the courage that when your so social circle is dragging you down or not agreeing, it takes what I call inner authority versus outer authority. And outer authority is, well, what does the Bible say? What's the Quran say? What's my parents say? What's society say? What are my friends? It's always an ism. There's always, you know, I, I have a decision to make. I don't know. Let me check with an outer authority to see what I should do. And there's a lot of people who live that way right now versus inner authority is I might check with an outer authority, but I'm going to make the decision myself and trust that my opinion is valuable. 
And that's a very big thing for people to get to is decide that respecting outer authority or having a faith or having a mentor is powerful, but not when you become dependent on that. You still have to maintain your inner authority. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Hmm. You know, that's so fascinating because it makes me think about a quote that I heard uh, Dan Kennedy say when he happened to sit next to Warner Earhart, who was the founder of the Landmark Forum. He said, sum up Landmark for me in one sentence. And he said, we sell independence, but we breed dependence. And it's funny because I look at people who make changes or attempt to make changes using self-help or self-improvement programs or just, you know, trying to make themselves better. 
And what you're talking about, this idea of inner authority versus out of authority, I think is the difference between the people who actually manage to make change as a byproduct of their efforts versus the ones who don't. Absolutely. And, you know, I know that Ken Blanchard was a, is someone who's helped mentor me through a few changes in my life as well. And he really hit on the fact of, you know, when you are, when, when you're growing as a human being, and maybe you're now outgrowing the culture of your faith or your church or your community or your mentor potentially, and you're just growing beyond, um, you have to sit back and think, you know, is this thing that's mentoring me, is it creating dependency or is it giving me wings to fly away? And one of the things that Ken Blanchard said that hit me really hard was he said, Dean, there's an organization that I was in at the time that was mentoring me. And he said, they have no way to graduate to get off the bus. And he said, um, and that often happens sometimes. I'll give an example. Let's say you, you are a youth pastor coming up in a church and you're developing a following and you're building a team and you're, you know, you, and at some point though, you decide to have a little bit of a different culture with how you teach and do things. So you want to now move on to another church or another company, if you know, for example. But unfortunately, the people who's the old pastor at the church has to have an abundance mentality when that time comes to say, congratulations, congratulations, everybody. Dean has now grown. We're, we're proud that we had a part in his life as a child getting him to this point. He's now going to go do his own thing. We wish him the best. He's here to graduate. But a lot of companies or churches or organizations can't do that because they have to have an abundance mentality, meaning when you leave, you might take some of their people. But do they have an abundance feeling that they could fill, fill up their, their company again? So oftentimes, there's no way to get off the bus in certain cultures. Therefore, you automatically only can have a divorce versus a graduation model. And a lot of companies and a lot of organizations need to, need to reassess how they do things. And there always needs to be a comfortable graduation. There needs to be a way to get off the bus and whatever it is you do. Mm. Wow. Um, so before we get into the rest of your career, I want to ask you about one other thing that you said um, and, you know, you mentioned uh, a birth father not really being there uh, mm -hmm. while you're growing up. I'm curious, one, uh, you know, what the story is there and more importantly, what the impact has been on your life and how you've raised your own kids. Sure. The Well, it was the classic story of my dad was the captain of the football team, went to the Colorado School of Mines, um, was the nuclear engineer during his era that was going to go do the right thing. And he was the, the, the you know, the jock who hooked up with the gorgeous, you know, model, my mom. Um, and, you know, they had a couple of kids real quick. And it was, in my opinion, when it was time to now get a career growing and, and move on beyond that, my dad went on down the path of becoming a nuclear engineer and moving to uh, uh, California. My mom did not want that. She wanted to be more of a butterfly and, and to live differently and to live off the grid. And so they completely separated. My dad always wanted to be involved in us, but my mom really took us and stole us. Uh, and part of being off the grid was hiding us from my dad. So my dad got left with no kids. So it didn't happen till high school years when we were able to reconnect with my dad. And then I had to go through all those feelings of seeing him in a different light than the stories my mom had told me. And having to realize, okay, wait a minute, do I believe the person who's the smuggler who stole us? <laughs> and believe, you know, maybe she's got the perfect viewpoint or do maybe I go believe the professional nuclear physicist, you know, maybe he's not so crazy like my mom tried to say. 
because um, if you stand back and look at it, you wouldn't think it's the nuclear physicist is off track. You'd think it's the <laughs> you'd think it's the person drug smuggling with their kids, right? But yeah. so, but that's a huge awakening when, as a child, you can step back and remove yourself. And uh, so I got back in touch with my dad, and it's been a wonderful journey. And he's one of my best friends today. And uh, but it was really, it, again, it really took a lot of stepping back and looking at it completely differently. And I think a lot of kids go through that who unfortunately deal with divorce is you just sort of always believe with the person who's raising you. And then there comes a point when you need to step back and take a look at your parents from your own eyes. Well, let's do this. Walk me through, um, sort of from college to, you know, this mentor and building the businesses that you have and all the things that you've done. Cause I know you've been involved in a whole host of different things. I mean, Brian and I, I connected as a, as a byproduct of something I know that he knows you through, um, mm-hmm. but walk me through the sort of entrepreneurial journey that's led you to where you're at today. Sure. Um, sure. So that day in college, when Mark Boyson had approached me, he'd approached me as a military guy, was a successful business owner. And that was back in the network marketing days, just getting started. And he basically was teaching me how to be an entrepreneur working inside a network marketing company. And it allowed me mentorship, a structure. And I basically built a big network marketing company. I built the Amway business, the largest MLM in the world. And I became one of the largest in the world in a short period of time in the 0.001%. And all that really means is in my particular case, I started finding a bunch of entrepreneurs, kids who wanted to be entrepreneurs and they grew up. And we were mentoring and life coaching them. And we ended up with a couple hundred thousand people around the world in 18 countries. And it was a wonderful journey. And I've had mentors that were teaching me how to lead these teams of people. Tons of personal development, attending seminars every week for decades, reading all kinds of books. It was like the Navy SEAL boot camp of personal development. Because not only was I reading, but I had a Petri dish to apply it. I'd read, attend the live events, and I could turn around and actually apply those techniques to a live community that I was actually having to mentor and train. So it was a great combination. Um, loved it. It was very educational. And then, um, like I'm saying, I started to outgrow that organization. As I started to travel more internationally, I realized that the community I was a part of wasn't really that global. And as I grew up, I just realized I wanted to do things a little bit different. So I had to break away from that community and start my own. And then I started becoming friends with a lot of the speakers and the authors that were the best-selling authors that we were, you know, we'd always be reading about. And they were just continuing to educate me. Uh, so I basically went from an industry of um, entertaining people on stage to educating people on stages around the world. And now I'm at a phase where my main vision is to be equipping people around the world with the tools and the products they need. So that's sort of how my journey went. It went from entertaining to educating to equipping. So, you know, one of the things that I, I know about MLM is that it involves, you know, a whole host of social skills. Brian has told me that he's talked to more than 10,000 people on the streets, um, which I'm guessing yours is probably similar in that sense. But I, I'm curious about two things. One, what you learned about influence and persuasion from the world of MLM, and then sort of why it has the reputation that it does uh, as this thing that, you know, I guess in a lot of ways, it is kind of one of those things that breeds dependence. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, which, which is interesting. Um, you know, the whole model of network marketing is independence, you know, as you mentioned with Landmark, right? Yep. But unfortunately, um, the whole concept is get free, um, but sometimes it breeds dependence um, 
you know, because they have a concept, they say, yeah, be duplicatable, right? Uh, which means do what we do. So I would say the social skills involved, the people I found who did extremely well in that space didn't really focus on um, inf- influence or persuasion. There's a group of people in that space that they get all excited about their product or their widget or their thing, and they really sell out to the story that, hey, I've got this really cool thing. It's unique, and isn't this thing awesome? I saw through that uh, and realized even if you think you've got something really cool, technology is going to destroy it down the road. So that better not be your pitch. <laughs> What's something that we could authentically give people that won't change? And it was what I was craving. It was more of, hey, if you want to get mentored and just learn some life skills, where do you go? A lot of those skills weren't being taught in college or high school. And I didn't get access to Richard Branson or Steve Jobs or some of these folks. So how can I connect to some of these brilliant minds that were out there today? Who would really mentor me? And I found there was a huge gap. You know, if you wanted to become a lot of the things that kids were wanting to become, actors, singers, businessmen, um, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, it wasn't being taught in school. So for me, network marketing was just a way to get some mentors to mentor you. And, and they weren't charging you the money that a Tony Robbins or a Deepak or a mastermind would charge you. Mm-hmm. So the concept was, is look, we'll mentor you. We'll teach you all this stuff. And that's what I can provide to you. Time management, life skills, how to run a business, how to team build, all those basic skills you need in life. And instead of paying me, just buy products from these companies and they'll pay us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, how, that's how we went about it. Not a, not a lot of people do that. Um, you know, they get tied up in the product, you know, or, or like you mentioned, persuasion and selling and mo- and, but you can't, you can only have that. You can only keep people pumped up and motivated for so long. If you're not truthfully equipping people with tools that just make them better people, it's short lived hype. So I, I know there's a darker side to all of this too. Um, just for, from having talked to Brian from, you know, having talked to certain people that it can become almost life consuming to the point where it's cutting you off from your friends, almost cult like. And I am I'm curious in your own sort of journey of doing this, have there been a sort of, you know, uh, the crucibles in the hero's journey? Oh, of course. Yeah. And what, what well, were that, they and what did you learn from them? I, w- I would just say that whatever you're doing in life, if you're if you're in a network marketing company, if you're working at a major corporation of any kind, if you are studying your faith or have certain mentors, you know, whatever organization or community you're a part of, just keep in mind that you're there to learn from their wisdom and to leverage their experience and their connections. But as we mentioned early on, don't cross over that line of saying things like, I need you. Because the minute you say, I need you, you become a victim. You're dependent versus independent. Meaning, if you are studying somebody or part of a community, four months later, you should have bigger wings to fly away if you needed to, not lesser wings. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's a subtle line because sometimes out of respect, people like saying things like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I would do without this organization. Or or, this would happen a lot to me. Dean, I I don't know what I would do without you. I need you. And it was really important from some older, mature men and women that would teach me, Dean, don't accept it when people say that. It's flattering. You need to tell them, wait a minute. If you tell me you need me today, then I must not be a great coach. You need me less every time we meet than you did before. And people I found really respected it because they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. Because just accidentally, we would trip into these words that 
created dependency. So I don't even think it was always intended by the mentor or the mentee. But just by not paying attention to our language, it becomes very dependent-based. And so I would say, um, so number one, have the courage to change and to elevate. You know, I like what Tony Robbins said on this. Look, don't don't have the courage to change because change is inevitable. You're changing right now. You don't got to do anything to change. It's already happening. (laughs) He goes, you need the courage to elevate and progress. That's different. So a lot of times people think they're seeking change. What they're really seeking is progression. So in order to do that, keep your inner authority. Realize that you can have mentors and organizations to follow, but don't become dependent. Have an abundance mentality, not a scarcity mentality. There's a whole big world out there of people that would love on you and respect you and help you and whatever it is you're doing. Um, I gained my inspiration from traveling, recognizing different patterns and crowds and people, um, I love the old line that Steve Jobs said again, when you, when, you, when you finally realize the world is made up by a bunch of people that are not smarter than you, it changes your whole view. When you start to realize, maybe I could invent something, maybe I could be something, you know, I don't have to be uh, certified, maybe I just need to be qualified. And oftentimes qualified just means this, do you have a burning desire or passion to make something happen? But if you've been convinced you have to be certified, You'll never think that you can take a step forward because you didn't go to school for it. So I, there's a big difference to me, to me between being qualified versus certified. And uh, you know, and that's the old sometimes if you want to get around a billionaire, for example, let's just talk money. Mm-hmm. And, you, and why is that billionaire attracted to the young broke person who's just got a massive dream? Because that person's qualified. They've got the eye of the tiger. We don't care if they're certified from Harvard. Because you can go get around a bunch of people who went to a college that have certification, but no flame inside of them. So, you know, um, and then uh, a big thing that I think you were getting to was anchoring decisions. Once you get the courage to elevate and you get the inspiration to make the change, anchor that decision. And to me, I had to learn to be very careful with my environments. To me, anchoring a decision means fully immerse yourself in this new direction you want to go. Sometimes that means changing your friends, upgrading your friends if your friends aren't willing to move on with you, where you live, the city, your house, everything. You know, a lot of people try to make a change without changing their environment around them. And I learned this from watching people in film and music. They call it method actors. If you want to step into this new character, you really have to step into it. So when I made a decision in college to step into business – I moved next to my mentors. I moved to the part of the city where things are going on. I changed the way I dress. I literally stepped into the thing I wanted to become. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. And a lot of people think that's reserved for actors. I don't know any successful entrepreneurs or people that are passionate about life that don't do the same thing. They're a method entrepreneur or a method dreamer is they literally step into it. And, and when you do that, people freak out sometimes because you're leaving them behind. But I remember one good mentor said, hey, if, if I decide I want to go to Africa, that means I got to get off the bus going to Canada. It doesn't mean the people on the bus going to Canada are bad. It just means I suddenly want to go to Africa and I need to get on the other bus. And the ones that want to come with me can. And the ones who don't, I'm not leaving them. But right now I'm going to Africa. It's that simple. Wow. Um, 
So another question I have for you, I, I know that as a byproduct of you know your success, you've accumulated wealth, and I am really curious kind of your how your whole sort of money narrative has changed, and w- what is it that keeps people struggling with money based on sort of your perspective and where you've, you've been and, and kind of where you've, you know, like you've kind of seen every end of the spectrum, you know, you've mm-hmm. seen money earned in illegitimate ways, even though it's probably plentiful, you've, you know, experienced earning money yourself. So I'm just curious, um, you know, what really is it that you think keeps people from achieving, you know, financial success? I think one of it is not appreciating, let me say this, I would say one reason is the permission to think it's okay. Meaning that, um, Money is just a tool, and it can give you options. and uh, And don't be worried that making money suddenly means that you're money focused. So it's the permission to go ahead and make some money in your life without thinking you're getting off track with your morals. I think that's step one. Step two: getting around people who are just doing financially better than you and learning to make some decisions, maybe a little bit different, that help you elevate your life financially. Just like you know you've. We've all said it. You're, you, a lot of times, we're heading in the direction of the top of the top five people we spend time with. If the five people I spend the most time with are are far heavier and out of shape than me, more than likely now my environment's going to be pulling me out of shape. But if the five people I hang out with the most are shredded up and in great health, more than likely, just by energy and vibration, I'm being pulled into better health. It's the same thing with money. So one, give yourself the permission. Number two. Surround yourself with people that do better than you in that area. Uh, And then three, as I was mentioning, anchor that decision. Don't just think you can make it on willpower. Create a better mousetrap and put yourself in it. You know, when you walk into your home, does it inspire you with sayings and quotes? I used used to run this test that Brian and I would talk about. If I came into your house, would you have to tell me who you are? Or would your house speak so loud it told me for you? Hmm. So give me an example. If I walked into some kid who told me that uh, uh, I knew nothing about him and I could walk into his dorm room, it could be the smallest, he could be broke, it's not about wealth, and I walk into his dorm room and I suddenly see on a wall his dream chart and I see that he's going to win a gold medal and his wall is so powerful, it convinces me even though I think, who is this kid? But suddenly, I know who he is, I know he's got courage, I know he's got a vision, his environment speaks so loud, he doesn't have to tell me anything. So we would run a test. If people came into your house next week and you let them hang out for a week and they didn't know you, give them a piece of paper and say, hey, by the way, what does my house tell you? And see what words they come up with. Do the words courage come up, honorable, have a vision, make a difference? And if they don't, then change your environment to where if someone came in your house, those words would come up. Creative, music, happy. So it's a test we used to run called the environment test. Hmm. Wow. Wow, you just packed this with so many uh, nuggets and wisdom. So I know you mentioned numerous authors, so I, I would imagine you're a voracious reader based on our conversation. Um, I actually was wondering if you might be able to recommend one book that has profoundly influenced your life, but that we wouldn't necessarily think would be on that list, not like the sort of typical thinking or rich type books. Um, is there something unconventional or out there that you think everybody should read that would have an impact on their lives? I don't remember the author, but it's called Crimes Against Logic. Okay. And it is what is called, it is what's typically used with politicians or manipulation. Not that politicians always manipulate, but just saying that the media. 
And it's how people can get you to question any a right or wrong decision by getting you to question someone's intentions or methods. Meaning, you could tell me that this person you know is a really bad person, and I believe you. Um, and you are actually correct, let's assume in this situation, that this person you're talking about is a, is a bad person. Okay, so you're correct. But all someone would have to do to come in and get me to doubt you is go, oh, Dean, you don't realize he used to date her. She broke up with him. That's why it's negative. And now, whether it's right or wrong, I would doubt your intentions, whether the logic of what you were saying was right or wrong. It's not effective anymore. Hmm. Wow. So it's called Crimes Against Logic, and it will help you stop being manipulated by people and the press. And it will keep you focused on what you're on the truth not sometimes intentions. So it's a technique that's used against us all the time. Um, I, I'd say the other thing that really helps me, by the way, is one thing I've learned. I love curious people. It, you know, I get asked a lot how to anchor decisions, but also just to how to stay happy as you're moving forward. And I found that the people I like to be around, it doesn't matter how much success they've had, if they're very introverted uh, in, in whatever it is, music, film, sports, life, I find I love meeting people who are just curious about things because it means they see beauty and, and, and they like to discover new areas of beauty. So, and I also just like meeting dreamers because if you're around people who are in the pursuit of a vision that, that they have, they're usually so focused on their vision and usually being humbled by what it takes to get their vision. They're compassionate. They're inspirational um, because they're chasing something and they're humbled by that journey. And when you meet people that are dreamers, people talk about it, but I call them daywalkers. When you get to dream with your eyes open and you actually get around someone who's currently chasing something epic down, don't take it for granted. You've met a daywalker. Stay close. It's extremely rare. Wow. Um, well, you've just packed this with so many, you know, valuable insights and inspiration. So I want to finish with my final question, which is how we close all our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Oh, I would say almost, I was just saying it right there is to me, unmistakable is someone who's captivating and it means that they're, they're a dreamer, they're curious, they're awake and they're in the pursuit of something that's worth pursuing. Hmm. Well, like I said, this has just been uh, amazing, insightful, and thought-provoking. Uh, where can people learn more about you? Right now, um, they could, uh, well, I'd have to say they could go to uh, deangrayentrepreneur.com. Awesome. Well, uh, like I said, I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with the listeners. This has been phenomenal. No worries. Yeah, congrats on, and by the way, congratulations on what you're doing. You, in, in your interview, um, you're one of those curious people. You love learning things. You love seeing insights. Those are the types of people that, I, that inspire me because who, who encourages the encourager is very few. Well, I, I and, really appreciate that. So. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative. Yeah, so no one told me to write a book. I just went out and did it. Um, you know, in, in 2013, I was going through this, you know, this, this transition, and I just started writing about it, and other people were interested in it. And I went out and did it, and then I self-published it. And then two years later, I actually got, you know, a book deal to write it. 
after I actually had written a full version of the book. So if I had waited for that initial invitation, the book would have never been done, right? Mm. You just have to go out and do it. And I think, you know, if we wait for this, this invitation, it's, it's never going to come. Um, and especially in this job market, it's about proving yourself and going out if you're, you're interested in something, trying to make it happen. And I think the lily pad career metaphor is all about experimentation. Smiley Poslowski joins us to talk about how to make a quarter-life breakthrough. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.